This passage um, is from a very well-known story about Joseph. Uh, you probably heard of a play like Joseph in the Technicolor jacket or whatever coat. Uh, you've probably um, seen, uh, you know, movie movies running of it on like TBS or something. Uh, back when people used to actually watch regular TV and not just Netflix, uh, you might have read or heard it in children's Bible stories, Sunday school classes, since you were little. Now, uh, this story, it actually, it contains very um, challenging ideas about the nature of destiny, about the nature of foreknowledge, the, the nature of, of how God acts in reality and what kind of choice we actually have in those matters. And, and there's a question related to those things that I want to ask all of us here today. Have, have, you ever, have you ever been convinced, or has anyone ever tried to convince you that things that happened to you that were really bad uh, were, were from God's plan or His design? Or maybe that you needed those really bad things to happen to you in order for you to learn a lesson. And, and maybe for some of the things you've been through or, or, or those close to you have been through, bad wouldn't even be the right word. It, it probably would be evil, would be a more accurate, more honest way of talking about some of those things that someone, some place you had heard that God orchestrated those things. He intended those things because there was a, a plan. Now, I'm not talking about struggle. Uh, struggle can be really good and, and, and helpful uh, in our lives. Um, I've been watching Xavier learn to walk, and he's he's now he's just speeding through the house. I mean, he's just running laps with with the other two. Uh, but to watch him struggle to walk was an amazing, beautiful thing. And, and in my history and education, there's a term that we use called. Uh, <laughs> people are tripping on my my messing up of that uh, of that name of that play. Um, <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so man, you guys messed me up there. Uh, I just saw all those comments at the same time. But uh, there's a term in education called productive struggle. And, and the idea there is that you can set a problem in front of a student that's beyond their reach. But it's close enough to where they are that if they engage in a productive struggle, that they're able to achieve that goal. So I'm not talking about those types of things in life. I'm talking about when evil has been done, when abuse of some kind has taken place, and for not even a lot of times for ill intentions, sometimes just out of fear or ignorance, somebody says, well, God has a plan, and that's part of the plan for your life. Because the reasoning is this, and you can, find, you can get this reasoning out of different scriptures in the Bible. We'll find out Jesus doesn't support it, but you can find these types of reasons. 
Uh, so if God ordains all things, this is the reason. He ordains all things. He's in control of all things. Then, if something evil happened to you, and God can control whether evil or not happens, and he makes, he makes everything that happens happen, then he preferred to use evil to, to bring about an opportunity for you to learn something good. Essentially that if God is, ordains all things, controls all things, then you have no power to resist evil and bad that happens to you because God wanted it to happen that way. This is very dangerous types of reasoning that's hurt and harmed and been part of the justification for the killing of a, of a lot of people. We can see it in those, in those um, personal uh, sort of things where uh, abuse, physical, sexual, spiritual, emotional, or otherwise happens and somebody says that, says that type of thing to the victim. We can see this in uh, reasoning about slavery in America, um, colonialization uh, in different parts of the world, ideas that like that, that God, even though these things ultimately were bad or a mistake, that you know God was purposing those things. He intended those things to help Christianize people or things like that. Here, here's the problem that I think is different uh, from how we see Joseph talking about these things and interacting with these things throughout his life is, is most of the time there's two kinds of people who are saying these things. The first kind is somebody who has power who is enacting these things on other people. So it might be the person who's enslaving the other people. It might be the abuser or someone who um, has abused or is supporting people who have power to abuse spiritually, emotionally, sexually, uh, those types of things. Or another one of the people that are often saying these things are people who are unaffected by the trauma, by the harm that the victim is enduring. And this is a problem. Unfortunately, what happens often is that these ideas about what God is like, that God actually prefers to use evil and wickedness in people's lives to bring about a lesson or bring about some greater good, that the, that the victim internalizes this message and begins to believe about themselves that somehow, for some reason, that they must be less valuable if that's the purpose, the kind of purpose that God has for their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, that, it's impossible for that not to affect our self-worth as human beings. If, if somebody powerful or successful or unaffected by great harms or traumas says to you, as a victim, you needed this, so that you could learn a lesson. Um, you know, God has really amazing purposes for humanity, but maybe, maybe for you, you know, it's, it's not, your, your purpose is, is less glorious. 
um, essentially you were you were meant for what happened to you. And um, in the cosmic scheme of things, if you come to believe that God needed to enact evil upon you to produce good, that's really going to hurt your self-worth and your sense of your own sacredness, your own um, uh, image that you were created in God's image, that idea. Um, but, you know, we all, we're all trying to make meaning out of what happens in life, right? Um, we can't help but judge the circumstances we see, the things happening to people around us. There's, whenever something bad happens to someone or there, somebody gets really sick or uh, just they're in a bad accident or there's a big storm, you know, there's always a whispering, there's always a thought uh, that, that kind of moves through that says they must have deserved it. Somehow they must have deserved what happened. Why? Why, why, why does our brain want to go there? I think it's so that we can feel safe. I think it's that, so that we can feel like we have some control over an uncontrollable environment. That, that what happens to us is, is based on something that we can control. Our measure of what's fairness, what fairness looks like, what morality looks like, and that if we hold to our own version of that, that we judge the world by, then maybe those bad things won't happen to us. And so we, we trade uh, mystery for a sense of false security. Here's, here's a funny example about this not working out. I remember seeing uh, on, on some local news station, like, hey, we're interviewing this woman. She's 102 years old, and she's still, like, really healthy, and she, you know, takes walks and sits on her porch and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to interview her and find out her secret. And they said, so what's your secret? And she's sitting on the porch, and she's like, I smoke a cigar, and I have a whiskey every day. And that, that, was her, that was her secret to longevity. And <laughs> so it's it pretty quickly, when we, when we start to be honest about what happens to people around us um, and, and the, the lives that people live and the morality or, or, or whatever it may be, exercise, whatever your measure and metrics are, those things fall apart pretty quick. I mean, a, a perfect example is uh, the reason why I'm looking at a screen right now instead of seeing you guys in person, the, the coronavirus. I mean, there's lots of people taking foolish risks on a regular basis, and a lot of them aren't the ones who suffer. It's those who are uh, compromised, their immune system's compromised, physically they have different issues, they're older, and it's those people that are being directly affected, hurt, and harmed by the irresponsible and even, we could you know, say, unfair uh, decisions of other people. It's just so tempting to believe so that we can feel that sense of security. Um, another you know, little example is, uh, well actually it's kind of a big example, it's like horror movies. I don't like to watch horror movies, but they kind of intrigue me. 
Like I watch, I like to watch trailer, like see the trailers, but that's it. But I remember when I was a kid, I, you know, TBS, man, the movies would just come on. And I remember seeing the beginning of this movie, movie Arachnophobia, mm. uh, about spiders that, you know, were taking over a town or something like that. And in the beginning of the movie, this guy is walking through his house and you're seeing like a view from, the, from a little spider. And he steps on the spider and it bites him and he kills it. And in a horror movie, the, the old trope that's always used is like, that guy's going to die for sure because he killed the spider. So the spider's going to have to get him back, right? So there, there's just constantly, we're constantly telling ourselves there's this like cheap kind of karma happening in life without a greater understanding of a bigger picture of things. So... Um, have you ever believed this? Have you ever believed and internalized the idea that evil was, was part of God's plan for your life? Has it ever affected your self-worth? If it has, it's also going to affect how you view other people and, and, and their worth as well. So, here's the thing. We want to have answers. We want to have answers to all these questions. And there's plenty of people that will try to give it to you. And, there, and humanity has wrestled with answers, uh, with questions and answers about destiny and God's sovereignty and do we have choice and free will. But we've, we've always wrestled with that as human beings. Um, but we don't need all the answers to, to life. We don't. We need, the answers we need are how to live life in mystery. How do we live life fully in the mystery of what life is. So let's look back at these scriptures with that context for a few minutes and, and see what it is that, that Joseph is saying here. So Joseph, Joseph's this kid, he's only about 30 years old at the, in the passage that I read. When he was 17 years old, he was having these dreams he was sharing with his family and his 11 brothers. It was the tribe of Israel. That's who he was sharing it with, his brothers, who become the tribes. And, uh, and he has these dreams that he's going to be really great and really awesome. And his brothers really don't like it. And he's, he's his, his father's favorite son. And they throw him in a well and sell him into slavery. And over the course of the next 13 years, he spends time uh, enslaved and then gaining a lot of notoriety and privilege in uh, an important man's home as a slave. And then he gets accused of something he didn't do, and he gets thrown in prison for many years. And there in the prison, he thrives and gets put in charge of things, even though he's a prisoner. And eventually, he's able to use his God-given grace of being able to interpret dreams to get into this high position in the, one of the greatest nations, probably the greatest nation in the world at the time, Egypt, um, to, he becomes second in command of all of Egypt, and he ends up saving all of these people, including his family, from a famine because of this grace God has given him and because of how he had treated people, in, even though he was in tough environments up until that point. And so he's in front of his brothers now, and he's got all the power in the world. He could, he could easily get revenge on his brothers. Nobody would ever blame, blame him for it. 
he'd probably even have a clean conscience about it on some level because they tried to kill him. And they ended up selling him off into slavery on kind of a whim. And instead, him standing here in front of his brothers in this palace, holding all the power that a, a, a man could, could want. And he says this to his brothers in verse 6. He says, For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. There's two ideas I want to pull out from what Joseph is saying right now. The first, I believe he's saying here, you cannot thwart God's purposes. So you made choices, brothers, but God still had his way. And that God's purposes are to rescue and to save. That's, that's the two things that I see Joseph saying here. God didn't stop Joseph's brothers from doing the evil things that they did. What they did was evil. But God did use their actions. He, he, did not, he was not caught off guard by them. He also wasn't the one who uh, made them make those choices. Now, now did, did God allow these things to teach Joseph a lesson? I don't, I don't think so. He was 17 years old when, when, when this happened to him. I can't imagine my 17-year-old son um, being like really prideful or bragging about something that God made him to be good at and saying, you know what you need is 13 years of slavery to teach you a lesson. I, I, can't, I, I can't believe that, uh, that if I couldn't even think about doing that to my son, that that God would say, yeah, that's my preferred method. I have all power and authority to do whatever I want, and I want to send this 17-year-old into slavery so he'll be ready, so he can learn the lessons he needs to learn in life and, and, and be afflicted in all these terrible ways. Well, maybe, but some people say, like, well, God, but God had to prepare him for this position, you know, so he could be the right kind of ruler over Egypt. How about an internship? That seems like a better option, right? Than 13, or uh, wait, how many years? 13 years of slavery. Yeah, maybe an internship might, might be a better option. You know, if I'm God up there, I'm, I, I, that's, that might be the choice that I made since I would be the author of all things good, of, of life and love. You know, Joseph says, you know, in this passage, he says, um, God sent me ahead of you to preserve and to save your lives. And he says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And you know what? I think Joseph probably had that perspective most of the way through. I, I want to read to you some things that, that happened and, and, and what's recorded about what happened in Joseph's life here. Um, earlier, he says this, uh, when he is working as a slave in this guy named Potiphar's house, it says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Uh, in Genesis 39.5 it says, from, that, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. In the next verses 20 and 21 in the same chapter, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, so he gets thrown into prison later, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And uh, it says in verse 22, so the, prison, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So this idea uh, of the Lord was with him, it's repeated over and over. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, this phrase is used a lot. It usually means the person is having success. They, they, they are blessed and, and, and their blessings, blessing other people. They have favor from others. They... they uh, garner trust from others, they achieve some kind of fame. An, a, a synonym for it might be the word grace. Grace. The grace of God. Joseph had the experience of a God who was gracious. And so everywhere he went, that grace exuded out of him regardless of his circumstances and its environment. He was tapped into this gracious God. He, this man was an unabashed dreamer and believer that things could be bigger than what was right in front of him. That's how we meet, that's how we meet Joseph in the beginning. So, you know, Joseph was able to interpret dreams. And those dreams brought a lot of clarity to other people. And that was part of the grace of God in his life. But Joseph still made, along the way, many hard decisions without knowing what was going to happen, without knowing why the things that were happening to him were happening to him. So, you know, Joseph is able to look back and say, here is why I am where I am. This is what God was trying to accomplish. But he surely... He had no idea why these terrible things were happening to him. And he did not believe that God was causing these bad things to happen to him. It reminds me of a moment in the Gospels, in, in John chapter 9, where the disciples are asking Jesus, like, why is this guy blind? Like, what, you know, we've heard different things in our life, and even the Torah you know, from the, from the Torah to the prophets, it says something a little bit different about this. And so they're asking Jesus, and I want to read these couple of verses to you. Starting in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Joseph seemed to believe something similar to this. He seemed to believe that everywhere he went, or was forced to go, that the glory of God happened, had an opportunity to be made manifest in people and in situations, despite the fact that evil was present. And both Joseph's story and, and, and Jesus here in John chapter 9 show us two, two important things related to this idea of, of destiny and choice and decision and, and predetermined events. shows us two things, the bigness of God and the sacredness of human beings. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. Look, God is bigger than, than your ability to judge or perceive why you might think this person's in the situation that they're in. And this person in front of you is important enough that the glory of God be manifest in their lives. Listen to this. If God does not prefer to use evil to accomplish good or cause evil, then God must believe human beings are valuable and sacred enough to make their own choices. Right? Because human beings can choose good or evil. It's right there in the beginning. Genesis. Choice. It's right there in Genesis 1. Human beings being, being given dominion over the earth. Choice. I mean, if, if, if God didn't want us to be able to choose, why, 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 why not stop at trees? You know, like, trees are great. Trees, they, they look pretty. They, you know, they, they, they grow. You can see a lot of glory in trees. And you can control them. Like, you can cut them down, move them around, use them to build stuff. Why make something as complicated as a human being? People who have the beings that have the capacity to imagine things, to think about the future and the past, to be standing in the present and imagine what something in the future could become. We are sacred and we are limited. We can dream and we can imagine, but when we start to try to judge everything based on our limited perspective, we get into trouble. I think that's why at some point this, this conversation about what, uh, what, God, what, what God's doing, like is everything predestined or do we have free will, I think at some point it just, it just kind of falls apart. It's, I was thinking of an example, and, and uh, for those theologians that might be listening there, you know, I get it. Like this is a big, deep conversation, you know, and um, there's a lot to it, but uh, you know, I was thinking about, uh, like, like, let's say we were standing next, next to God, and we were looking at a situation on a flat picture, like a printed out Polaroid picture, and we're looking at it, and we're saying, yeah, God, this is what I think is going on. And God is looking at the same event, but he's seeing it from 360 degrees from every possible perspective. Are you going to be seeing the same thing? Of course not. Of course not. You're seeing a very limited perspective. And so I want to remind us, I want to remind us that we don't need all the answers to live our lives and to live them well. We do need the answers about how to live in mystery. Because that's what we're afforded. That's what we get 
as sacred and limited human beings. Joseph spent 13 years in prison and in slavery. I'm sure he despaired some during that time. I'm sure he looked for signs and didn't see the ones he wanted to see. You know, as we, as we move to the toward, towards the end of this message, now I want to talk about that for a second, signs. We're, we look for signs all over the place, and we want to make meaning of those things. And, um, you know, I just talked about the picture illustration versus the 360-degree view, but, but we're made to look for meaning. We're made to look for signs. So how do we do it? You know, a lot of times it's like this, like, oh man, I almost got into a car accident today. I think God's trying to tell me something. Yeah, he is. Like, stop looking at your phone while you're driving. Or, or you know, it might be that, like, you could just die any time because it wasn't your fault and the person driving in the other lane, going the other way, was yelling at their kids in the back seat. Uh, wasn't me. I don't yell at my kids ever. Uh, and I think, you know, I think in this mystery that we live in, the mystery that Joseph lived in, that he was able to affirm God's good purposes in this world of, of famines and um, different nations and, and being enslaved and imprisoned by his own family, um, that, you know, that this world we live in is, is filled with signs. It is. And the thing is, I think as we mature in our faith and our ability to live in mystery, we're not looking for these disconnected sort of arbitrary signs anymore. We're looking more for the type of thing Jesus is talking about in John chapter 9. We're looking for signs that we might see, opportunities we might see, for the grace we've been given to be made manifest in the world, no matter the circumstances. Sometimes the sign is just, wake up. That's what I hear Jesus saying in John 9. He says, you must act while you can. That while it is day, you got to do the work. So, whether or not you agree with me about predestination or free will and things like that, because obviously if you've listened to this message, I'm, I'm espousing we definitely have choice as human beings, and that God does not uh, prefer evil to accomplish his goals and does not in fact choose evil. What we need is presence in our lives that we have. We need to be able to recognize the sacredness of each moment that we have and try to find out what is the grace that God has given us in these moments and in these times, in times such as these, in times as difficult and challenging as these. I don't need to know everything to live my life. I don't need to know why about everything. And Jesus doesn't offer us those answers. 
But he does offer us a path forward into mystery. So, um, I hope that uh, you guys are blessed by this message, by Joseph's life and um, the words of Jesus. And for those of you who weren't here in the beginning, we made an announcement that we're going to meet together uh, in person uh, as the cases have been declining now for three weeks. And we're going to do that next Sunday night at 8 p.m. at Central Christian Church outside uh, in the parking lot with all kinds of precautions, doctor-approved precautions taken. And uh, we'll enjoy some liturgy together, a homily and sacred communion. And I hope that you all can join us. And we will be uh, putting more information out about that throughout the week in social media and in our weekly newsletter that comes out Thursday morning. Um, also, there are tracks, uh, adult track and, and children's track, for you to continue to engage uh, with your household um, in the uh, Word this morning uh, from uh, Genesis. And um, I miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. And also uh, at Contemplative Prayer Wednesday, 8 p.m. outside as well, on Zoom and outside. Uh, in the garden. So, love you guys. Be blessed.